0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby, all right? And joining me, as always, for the miracle of satellite technology, it's not human, and it's got an axe. It's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir?
1: I'm good, thank you. That... Tagline should be super obvious because I think it could only describe one film, but for the life of me, I can't figure out what it is. The only thing I can think of is the machine that Belle's dad makes in Beauty and the Beast and <laughs> I, I somehow feel Disney wouldn't have uh, signed off on that.
0: No, no, this is from a film called The Prey, which I haven't seen, but it sounds tawdry as fuck and I want to watch it.
1: <laughs> I think everyone should want to watch it now because that is a utterly brilliant tagline. That's That's mm. got to be up there in the pantheon of sleazy, uh, grindhouse-y taglines.
0: It's probably like a really tender drama about (laughs) kind of like handmaidens in like Nova Scotia. But yeah, maybe not. We've been away for a bit. Well, I mean, we've had a podcast out every week, but uh, I've been on holiday and we've had a guest on. Uh, Thanks very much to John Hunter for kind of stepping in. That was very nice of him, wasn't it?
1: It was, and I had a a really good time talking about a subject that I know you have zero interest in, so (laughs) Mm, it was nice to uh, go slightly outside of our, well, within our remit in the sense that we talk about big cultural things all the time, but uh, outside of your interest.
0: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, Star Trek is for kind of like losers and kind of, uh, you know, people who kind of lack basic social skills and, you know, can't really relate to wider society as a whole. But Star Wars is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's my logic behind it. Yeah, I, I will never go Trek because once you go Trek, you never go back. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and work. What's been happening in the news this week, Ed, I mean, a lot's been happening since we last spoke. This week, there's been a few things flying around. Notably, there's an Ocean's Eleven remake, another one, uh, given that the last one was a remake. Um, this one's happening, and as seems to be kind of the style du jour, we're getting an all-female cast, and it sounds pretty exciting, because the cast is pretty goddamn good.
1: Yeah, just this week, they announced that Sarah Paulson is probably going to join it, and she's probably the best actress on television these days, certainly in recent years. You know, she was amazing on The People vs. O.J. Simpson. She's really good with terrible material on American Horror Story. Uh, She's just, like, a a wonderful presence. Uh, I believe Rihanna was added recently as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's probably less good as an actor, but, I mean, she's certainly got, you know, charisma, I guess. But she joins uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, Kate Blanchett... Anne Hathaway, uh, Mindy Kaling, uh, Helena Bonham Carter. There's quite a few Oscars in that, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and uh, what I found funny, I'm not the first person to point this out, is that it's called Ocean's Eight, which uh, is funny just because it means that even in the titles of movies, women can only get 75% of what men get. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: Are they doing that? so, So is it they literally couldn't take, like, find three more actors? Or you know, is it going to be a prequel? So they go eight, nine, ten, and then we have eleven, twelve, thirteen.
1: I'd like to think that they were going that way. I just think that for some reason they just kind of like they just think, you know what, eleven women all in a film at the same time—it's too much of a risk. This isn't mm. nineteen thirty-eight and the women. You know, we can't mm. get away with it anymore. Not like in those fem- that feminist uh, utopia of nineteen 19- thirty—the late nineteen thirties. Uh, mm. We have to. We have to be a bit less bold and only have eight mm. women instead of 11.
0: Yeah, this is not still fucking Magnolias. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? This is, you know, a prestige Vegas heist picture. I imagine it'll be set in Vegas, would it?
1: Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. What do you think the odds are that the sole man who's in the film will be the most fam- most prominently featured on the poster?
0: Yeah, um, I think pretty high. But yeah, I'm trying to think of someone who would be like grossly inappropriate for that role. I mean, making Chris Hemsworth, the receptionist, um, a dumb blonde in Ghostbusters is funny. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what they could, maybe like like uh, TJ Qualls.
1: <laughs> for a second, I thought you were going to say TJ Miller.
0: Um... <laughs> I'd watch TJ Miller. I'd watch the shit out of TJ Miller being in one scene and just being his character from Silicon Valley. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe that's who they're ripping off.
1: Or even just his character from Yogi Bear.
0: Mm, yeah, well, he's in Transformers. He was in the last Transformers movie, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, who um, was one of the lucky ones in that he died very, very early. So he he didn't have to spend quite so much time in the presence of Michael Bay, who he has described multiple times on podcasts as a truly hateful human being.
0: Oh, wow. that's. Uh, I mean, well, I don't really know what I'd expect other than that. But, you know, that's pretty bold. Um, maybe that's why his character got killed off. Mm. um can't go around dissing the bay sam Mendes, uh we've heard we, they kind of we know this we've been talking uh, about it for a while um but disney is now kind of going through their cycle of making live action versions of their properties um and they've announced that sam Mendes, uh, erstwhile director of things like uh, american beauty and um revolutionary road what's that last thing you did
1: uh skyfall
0: oh, Spectre. oh and, and Spectre, yeah yeah, uh, he does the Bond movies. I would know, completely the... forgotten that Spectre was a film that existed. I haven't even, I haven't even seen it. Like I've, I, I don't even think. And like I, I, and I enjoyed Skyfall, but then I was thinking, okay, that's a Bond film I've enjoyed. I don't even see another one. That's fine. Um, yeah, just
1: imagine Skyfall, but thirty percent less good, and <laughs> with Christopher uh, Christoph Waltz doing the thing that he does,
0: right? And yeah. you're about there. Yeah, I I can picture that. Um, but he's gonna do uh, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, which sounds fun because James and Joan Peach, uh, the rolled doll story, is like super good. And like, uh, I don't want to bring up painful memories, Ed, but do- doesn't someone's parents get like killed by a rhinoceros in this?
1: Yep, yeah. one of my early formative childhood traumas of reading that book and forever being terrified that whenever my parents would leave me at like my grandparents' house for a few days or something, uh, we would get a phone call saying they'd been mauled by some sort of large <laughs> animal or devoured by a rhinoceros.
0: Um, yeah, we're just going to the zoo, Ed. B R B. You know, dude, don't go. I mean, this kind of trend of Disney doing these live action remakes is uh, kind of in full swing. We're going to get Beauty and the Beast um, at the end of this year or start of next year, I think. Um, and you know, it's kind of nice to see the movie. I mean, they did the stop motion James and the Giant Peach. It's not really one of the, considered one of the classic properties, I guess. But it's nice to see them kind of stepping outside of. Uh, They're kind of animated oeuvre.
1: And it's kind of quite exciting to see Sam Mendes doing it because he was behind the stage production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I believe. He was was kind of a big force behind that. So I think he obviously has a a handle for Roald Dahl's work. I don't know how well that transfers to screen because it's kind of a strange story. And the thing with the uh, Henry Selick version was... It was half live action because it started with the the live action characters. And then once the action moved to the inside of the peach, it all became stop motion. And that allowed for the film to be super duper weird and strange in that Henry Selick way. So I'm not sure how well that would transfer if you made it all live action. Um, You mentioned the Beauty and the Beast live action adaptation. We saw this week the photos of what Cogsworth and Lumiere will look like. And they are horrifying creations that I think will give all the children who go and watch it nightmares. So, it it you do run a risk when you take something that previously existed in the realm of hand drawn or stop motion animation and try and make it, uh, you know, realistic in quotation marks through CGI.
0: Mm, yeah, I'm just uh, trying to find the uh, live action pictures of Cogsworth because um i'm kind of wondering whether they are as horrifying as you've uh, described and uh they kind of do look like nightmare fuel
1: <laughs> yeah like before we started i said that it looks less like they were cursed than that someone decided someone was holding a clock when they went through the trans uh, the transporter created by Seth Brundle. you know <laughs> there's not there's not something whimsical or magical about it 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 looks like something that was created through an immensely painful experience
0: mm, yeah and uh one that that painful experience will live on in the hearts and minds of children all over will be just as like kind of scared by this as you were with the you know the rhinoceros bit of news from uh, another wing of the disney offices <laughs> um their <laughs> kind of marvel cinematic universe uh, chunters on with uh, doctor strange coming out at the end of This year, I think, and uh, much like we were before Guardians of the Galaxy came out, we're all like, oh, this might be too weird. Is it going to work? It probably will. We know the answer now. Um, But we've just found out this week that there's a post-credit scene that's been added and filmed recently, which um, is no great surprise because Marvel seemed to do that. Um, But the weird thing was that it wasn't directed by the director of the film. It was uh, written, I think written, but also definitely directed by Dan Harmon, which was mm. pretty strange news.
1: Yeah, it was a very odd thing because obviously Dan Harmon's a very prolific writer, and he is someone who has you know a huge amount of cl- acclaim. He's obviously got friends, he's got fans and friends in Hollywood. The Russo brothers, most notably, I imagine that was probably their connection <laughs> in terms of offering him the chance to write and uh, direct a post-credit scene. Um, but it's it's mainly strange because on Harmontown, his podcast, the Marvel movies, they weren't a uh, kind of a, one of his main focuses, but there were several episodes where he would complain about how formulaic they are. Mm-hmm. And you wonder if there's something about this project that made him decide, oh, this is, you know, this is something that uh, I, I really want to do. I could do something interesting with. I can try and break the mold. Or if it was like, oh, you know, my TV show is not on anymore. Uh, I'm now doing a streaming show where I play D&D with, uh, with people in front of a live studio audience. That's probably not going to pay the bills. That's mm-hmm. not going to keep me in dog food. So I think it may be that he, is, uh, he may be taking the, the paycheck on that one. But it's still interesting and, appropriately enough, strange to hear that he's been involved in this particular project in this particular way.
0: Maybe the, I'm thinking the post credit scene in Doctor Strange might be a lot like the post credit scenes in Community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we might just have a brief like thing of Doctor Strange to see if he's like crunking. Um, or there'll be a kind of Troy and Arvid in the morning style um, kind of bit where it's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in ag 4 just kind of presenting a fake TV show.
1: Rapping in Spanish.
0: Rapping in Spanish. I mean, I'd watch all of these things.
1: Uh, I think it would be the, the ultimate, the best thing of it would be if it was Chiwetel Ejiofor or, or Benedict Cumberbatch describing the plot of the Grey to Chiwetel 4 and doing his best Liam Neeson impression. I think that <laughs> yeah. that would have been the best thing. Going, mm. We're all dead.
0: <laughs> There's wolves. <laughs> uh, I saw, I heard the Town podcast in which Dan Harmon describes the plot of the Grey to his uh, comptroller um before i saw the gray mm, and yeah. the gray <laughs> becomes a much different proposition with that impression in my head
1: yeah especially when he because he's describing it as the most fatalistic film ever and it kind of is it's very grim but it's just really funny when all you can imagine is is him just like saying anytime anyone makes a point or says anything it's like then we're already dead <laughs> <laughs> the world sort of get us <laughs> I don't even think he's Irish in the film, but it's very hard not to imagine that he's Irish.
0: Yeah, you've gone via uh, far and away there, Ed. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, far and a grey. It should be the mashup that should happen. A touching romance between a man and a wolf. I'd watch it. Lastly, this week, um, we've talked before on the show about how kind of internet lists appear. People get upset about them because the film they like is not on the bloody list. Uh, but this week, it was kind of refreshing to see uh, a list published. Uh, I think the BBC did it where they kind of polled a whole bunch of critics and they wanted to find out what the hundred kind of best films were in the from the 21st century, um, which is nice because it means we avoid all the kind of the usual, the guff, you know, your vertigos, your citizen canes, all that stuff, which, you know, I mean, they're great films, but like, I'm kind of bored of seeing them on lists now. Um, And yeah, I mean, people have been less pissed off by this list than other lists, which I guess is progress.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good good reason for that in that it it was one of those cases similar to the Sight and Sound list, which they do every 10 years. And we talked about a few years ago when they did the update for it, where not only do you present people with the full list of 100 films, but you also present people with the hundreds and hundreds of top uh, top 10 lists that were provided by critics the people who voted on it so not only do you get this list of 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 consensus choices but there's a lot of individually interesting stuff that you can dig into and that was one of the things that was quite nice about it was that all the people who had been asked to contribute who were on twitter which is most of them um they provided their top tens individually so you could very easily just kind of like scroll through and see and and i think that takes some of the sting out of that typical whining thing of saying, oh, why didn't they choose blank insert name here? You know, why didn't they choose this film? Why did they leave that film off? And you can say very clearly, well, people voted for it. Mm -hmm. It's just that not enough people did. And, you know, and and it's, it feels a lot more inclusive than just those kind of the monolithic way of presenting a long list of films and not allowing people any transparency into how the list was put together.
0: Hmm. It was cool for when they did the, the sight and sound list, they would publish every film, a list of every single film that had been voted for and Mm -hmm. how many votes they got. And it'd be cool to kind of like scan through and say, oh man, fucking Lone Star got six votes. Six critics out there thought it was like, you know, one of their 10 favourite films ever. And that's like super cool, which is much better than looking at a list and thinking, oh, fuck, dude, I can't believe Alvin and the Chipmunks is in the top eight, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think also it's really interesting just because... I mean, I don't know how people feel about the last 15 years or so of cinema to date, but it Mm. certainly feels as if people are kind of down on a lot of it. I mean, this year in particular, a lot of people have been very down on the films that have been coming out. So I think it's really nice to see a film like this, a list like this, and to be reminded like, oh, you know, like the act of Killing's amazing. Children of Men, that's a great movie. Zodiac, you know, um, or more recent stuff like something like Mad Max Fury Road. You can look at this list. And even if you don't like Some of the stuff that's on it, like you and I are not particularly fans of Lost in Translation. We've been on the the kind of the record of not particularly caring for that one. But Mm. it's still really great to look at that list and to see that there are a load of really great films that have come out in this decade and a half uh, and knowing that, you know, cinema's still all right. It's not all it's not going to be completely destroyed by Vine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is quite a lot of good films out there. Which is, I mean, the top three, uh, we'll get into that. I mean, um they're, what I expected, I saw the list for the first time today, the actual. I have saw people kind of talking about the list and generally kind of a feel of what was on it. But the top three is exactly what I thought it would be. Mulholland Drive 1, In the Mood for Love 2, and There Will Be Blood 3. Mm. Um I think those three, I mean, for me, I prefer There Will Be Blood and In the Mood for Love to Mulholland Drive. But that's yeah. just my personal choice. Those three are probably the best chance that the 21st century has got of kind of cracking that fairly kind of archaic view of what's good in cinema. I mean, I think the the sight and sound list in the top 10, the newest film, uh, is that The Godfather or something, which is, you know, like four, that, yeah. nearly 45 years old, which is kind of crazy because the suggestion there being that nothing has been good. Enough to crack that list for for kind of forty five years, but I think there will be blood and uh, in the mood for love both crack the top twenty of that. I'm pretty sure top fifty definitely. So yeah, I think they're our best chance of of kind of having our generation recognised.
1: Mm. Although then when we get to the next iteration of the list in like twenty twenty two, there will be blood will be number three, and everyone will be complaining that a film that was released in the last ten years <laughs> hasn't cracked the top ten and it will just go on and on and on. But yeah, I think I think you're right that things like that or I think Spirited Away which also is in the top is is number 4 feels like one that could crack it because it's like wildly widely beloved and hugely acclaimed and everything, but uh it, it that list strikes me as one that probably has something of a bias against animation even if mm. it's the most acclaimed animated film ever made.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. And it's it is slightly better than Alvin and Chipmunks, which comes in at number eight,
1: <laughs> but yeah. not better than Chipwrecked. That one's the the pinnacle of the series.
0: The Squeakwall is that what you're talking about?
1: No, there's the Squeakwall, then there's Chipwrecked, oh. where they get stranded on a desert island, and then there's the Road Chip, which came out last year.
0: And is Jason Lee in all four? He's in all four.
1: David Cross bailed after the first three, so oh. he's gone <laughs> he's got a slight shred of dignity left.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I kind of always like, do you remember the kind of early 2000s where like Jason Lee was in everything? Mm. And then he just kind of disappeared. And I was like, well, I don't know, he was a Scientologist. Maybe he's like gone up in a spaceship or some shit. But like, he just kept working and just people just ignored him. And uh, what happened? I mean, I I assume that my name is Earl is still going. Uh, No, that ended about five years ago. But that one. Jesus Christ. That one went
1: on a few years after people stopped paying attention i think it's mm. fair to say because i remember that first season started and it was really something that people paid a lot of attention to mm. and it was a really really good show and then yeah it just it's just one of those ones where the show didn't necessarily get worse it's just that everyone just seemed to drift away from it myself included i don't know how how long it ended up running but i do remember really really enjoying it for like the first two two years or so
0: Mm, yeah, anyway, the mystery will live on as to what happens to Jason Lee. Cool, man. We're, we're going to talk about this week, something that uh, we've kind of been playing on my mind for quite a while because I saw this film three weeks ago and I've been waiting for Ed to catch up so we can talk about it. But today, Ed finally suffered through a Suicide Squad, which is a film that, I mean, you'd be not surprised to to kind of find out that I didn't like. And I'm pretty sure that Ed wouldn't like it either. Um, And we're going to kind of talk about it, but in a kind of a context of what's going on in cinema today. But first, Ed, um, should we discuss the many ways in which Suicide Squad could only be described as weapons grade bobbins?
1: Yeah, I think we should definitely talk about that, because like you say, I suffered through it. I spent a lot of the movie angry at it for existing, Mm-hmm. Which is not something that's happened to me since Interstellar, which was a film that I really hated, and I really hated seeing it in the cinema. Although that was a very different experience because that was a film I really wanted to like. Mm-hmm. And this one, like, I don't go into a film wanting to hate it, but I do go into when a, a a film comes out and it's panned by everyone more or less, and you you know you have a sense from the tone of the adverts and stuff how it's going to turn out. You kind of go in expecting the worst. But hoping that there'll be kind of little shreds of of goodness in there that you can focus on like that was why I didn't completely hate Batman v Superman is there was stuff about it that I found interesting even if it was just like oh this is bad but it's interest- it's bad in an interesting way mm. and suicide squad is bad but not in ways that are very interesting it's bad in there's a kind of a sameness to how bad it is because like if you were to list the thing why it's terrible it's the it's horribly edited it's overwhelmed by poor song
0: choices (laughs) yeah
1: which is like it's crazy how bad the choices of songs are because on one level they're kind of on the nose like when when the members of the suicide squad who for people who don't know i mean like it doesn't really matter but the the suicide squad is a comic which uh, exists in the dc stable where they took all of these characters who are villains and the government kind of put them all together under the the under the direction of the character of Amanda Waller, who in the film is played by Viola Davis, who's a great actress who does her level best to, to make anything happen in this film. God bless her. But like they go under her kind of direction and they're sent in, like the Dirty Dozen, they're a, they are a suicide squad. They're sent in to fix problems where people don't care if people die. And I think the members of the squad changes a little bit over the years, but in this one it's characters like Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robin Deadshot, played by... Uh, Will Smith and then others, mm. <laughs> others who are less distinctive than those two. But when this crew is brought together to battle ancient gods in Midway City, they are given all of their stuff to gear up with and they are their stuff is unveiled to the strains of Without Me by Eminem, which is a song that doesn't fit what's happening at <laughs> all steps on all of the jokes that are being made which aren't very good to begin with but like the rhythm of this 14 year old song or <laughs> however long that song came out doesn't fit at all and like that's the the, the whole film is that it's badly edited it's I, I i heard uh i don't know how true this is but apparently the film was taken away from david air and given to the company that cut the trailer because wow. the trailer was very well received and the whole film consists essentially of scenes that are just trailers for the next part of the film and there's nothing in the way of pacing or a consistency of tone uh and it's just a wash of like you'll go along for every few minutes it'll be like oh now here's sympathy, sympathy for the devil oh here's fortunate son here's black skinhead which is uh was the only time i got goosebumps because you yeah, know that's one of my favorite kanye songs it's a song i like to run to but then immediately after i was like is this racist that you're putting this over the scene of Will Smith trying to shoot things? It's like, it's so on the nose that it feels offensive.
0: Mm. And I think the the, the the use of music or the misuse of music mm. has been kind of one of my biggest bugbears about the film in that it brings immediately to mind um, Guardians of the Galaxy, a mm. film um, set in a comic book universe, uh, a kind of a troublesome property for Marvel to have cracked. We talked about how difficult it would have been as a proposition. Characters that people don't know. Um, characters that are kind of basically arseholes. But that film pulls it off with a plum, Manages to make you care and like the characters. Um, even though they're kind of like a motley crew of, kind of criminals and kind of oddballs. And also they use pop music in a really interesting way. With the, you know, the, uh, the lead character has a kind of a tape that uses kind of like a comfort blanket. And they use it in a very cool way, but also in a way that kind of kind of reflects what's happening on screen. Perhaps not literally, but, you know, emotionally, tonally, all that good stuff. And you get the impression that Suicide Squad was like, hey, this needs pop music. Mm, what should we put in there? Well, the Guardians of the Galaxy, they just put music in. We'll do that. To the point where they use the same, they use the Spirit in the Sky when they're flying in the sky <laughs> and i was just yeah. like fuck dude like seriously
1: and like at the very end when they use bohemian rhapsody for no reason mm. just to have it playing because it was used in the trailer it it really is baffling some of the, the the way in which the film is assembled because it does feel as if it's been cut by people who have no idea of how to pace a story or how to set up an action scene like this became painfully obvious very early on when Deadshot. there's a there's flashbacks showing how all of these different members of the team including uh, killer croc who is a man who looks like a giant crocodile but not really Mm -hmm. he just looks like a guy in bad prosthetics which is what he is uh captain boomerang the most useless man who's ever lived (laughs) played by jai courtney the second most useless man who's ever lived um who the fuck else is in this movie? Slipknot, the man who can climb anything.
0: Yeah, I take I take particular <laughs> umbrage with the description of Slipknot as a man who can climb anything because he's just a dude who has a grappling hook <laughs> and I would be able to climb something if I had a grappling hook. He didn't display kind of spider-like agility, kind of like a monkey kind of scaling up sheer cliff faces. He shoots a grappling hook onto a building, flies up it, and then his head falls off.
1: Yeah, his head explodes because they've all been given Snake Kliskin-style bombs Mm. in their necks to keep them under control
0: which Uh, is not not the most terrible piece of like uh getting yourself out of a corner you've painted yourself into if you're mm. a screenwriter oh hang on why can't my characters leave this situation just for their own free will? yeah stick a fucking bomb in their necks i'll be fine
1: yeah why don't they just kill everyone because they're unscrupulous bastards (laughs) um Mm. and the thing that's really really funny like i said captain boomerang is 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 fucking useless and he really is there's such a a, a a vast difference between the levels of the powers of these characters because on the one hand, you have the character of El Diablo who can create fire from everything, which I think is a power that's overplayed. I think there's like every comic has had someone who can control fire and it's not that impressive at this point. But in this film, at least, it he does lots of stuff with it, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, you have Enchantress played by uh, Cara de la vignette Wait,
0: how do you say her name? I've no idea, but I'm just laughing at the fact that I can just remember the her performance, um, which is quite something.
1: Oh yeah, when she spends the last half an hour of the film just doing a Shakira routine,
0: mm, which yeah, is essentially like, what she's that's doing. An, she it, just that's an insult to Shakira because Shakira kind of imbues it with like Meryl Streep levels of depth compared which, to her.
1: Yeah, she just basically sashays in front of a green screen for a very long period of time. Like yeah, she's she's basically a six thousand year old goddess, and she has a brother who's also a god, and they're really really powerful. Deadshot is kind of in the middle because he's a really he's really good with guns, which mm. is not really that impressive. But like he, th- then you have Captain Boomerang, whose ability is he has a boomerang,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's all he does. And like, and he, big, he doesn't use it that much to warrant being called Captain Boomerang. I mean, like, I don't know whether, like, Mr. and Mrs. Boomerang are particularly proud of Captain Boomerang or what kind of military, like, kind of organization he worked his way up to the rank of captain when he basically gets the boomerang out like two times.
1: Yeah, he, he, uh, I think he throws it at the god creature who swats it away. Mm. uh, And then he just basically spends the whole final fight just trying to distract him and getting hit. And then Mm. he uses it. Um, he has a drone attached to it or a camera or something and he throws it and they use it to take footage of what's happening with these gods who have designed this weapon in the centre of the city. And it's just one of those things where you look at it and you think, why is a boomerang so <laughs> steady with its camera work? He's just thrown it in a direction. And also, who designed the app that allows him to watch the footage on his phone? Um, hmm. It seems like, it's, it's a very strange. Uh, but I, I just remember the point I was making about it being badly edited and no pacing. Like, Deadshot is being... There's a flashback where it shows that Deadshot was captured by Batman, played by Ben Affleck, who just kind of shows up and grimaces throughout the whole film for a few scenes. And the way he's captured, it it's like set up like, oh, this is going to be an epic fight. And it lasts about 15 seconds. And it's not like because the fight is like really over it looks like something that's meant to be really complex and they're like punching and parrying and he's trying to do essentially like some equilibrium style gun Carter where he's trying to knock the gun away and he's shooting everything like that but it's just it's just really really quick and there's no rising and falling action or anything it's just completely over and that's what the whole film feels like whenever there's an action scene there's no attention paid to making it exciting or interesting it's all very flatly composed
0: Mm. And it's in contrast, kind of jarring contrast to the start of the film, where we're kind of hurriedly introduced to a whole bunch of characters in uh, a style that reminds me of how every film did it after Lockstock came out. You had a character, oh. <laughs> it paused, the name came up and said what their speciality was, which is, you know, if you can't be bothered to write characters that you can kind of invest yourself in and kind of find out what they're up to, fuck it, let's do a freeze frame and tell you that kind of just rattles along energetically and then it just kind of kind of stodges into kind of like uh, quagmire of like plot detail of like kind of high ranking military officials being told by by being told uh, by Waller that this is the only way they're going to be able to do this and them saying no literally under no circumstances um, (laughs) should we do this and then cut to Oh, my God, we've just let a a witch loose in the Pentagon. (laughs) Uh, Which, you know, like, if you think about, you know, screenwriting 101, fuck it, man, just think about drama 101. What is drama? Drama is the uh, overcoming of obstacles placed in front of characters. That is what drama is, tension and, uh, you know, kind of difficulty. Let's not do this. It's a terrible idea. No, let's just do it. The end. (laughs) That is what happens. And that is how the plot gets moving. Um, they let a witch loose in the Pentagon, and it kind of goes downhill from there. Who'd and, have thought? And, and, and there's and a bit, there's a bit as well when they're when they're when the kind of the team are on their mission, led by Rick Flagg or whatever his name is. That's his He's name. I thought
1: of, it was Ric Flair when I first heard it, and I thought this yeah, would be a much better movie if it was it Ric would be
0: Flair. So much better with Ric Flair. And Rick Flag at one point towards the end, when the whole thing has gone to shit, goes, "God, this really was a bad idea." <laughs> <laughs> like, no shit, mate. Fucking hell. What were you thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about like the, the basics of drama, I think the thing that's especially bad about this film in terms of its storytelling is if you break it down and you say, if they hadn't decided to put together the Suicide Squad, thousands of people would still be alive.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because but... it's not like because when it was sold, it was like, oh, it's going to be like, a, or when it was pitched, you know, to people who, d- who weren't familiar with a comic like 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 me, um, I, I'm saying that I, I wasn't aware of it, really. It was a phrase that I'd heard, but I didn't really know what the story was. I thought, oh, that sounds like the Dirty Dozen. It's like, okay, something terrible has happened. We need people to resolve this problem. We'll send in these people who we don't care if they live or die. You think, okay, mm-hmm. that seems like a good plan. This is, nothing's gone wrong. I want to still put together this team of incredibly dangerous individuals (laughs) and let them roam free. And then things immediately go wrong because she's released these dangerous individuals (laughs) into the world. And it's just one of those things where you think, if nothing had happened, if they had never (laughs) decided to form the Suicide Squad, everything would have been fine. And that is not a dynamic piece of storytelling.
0: Hmm, yeah. Yeah. Harley Quinn is a bit of a weird thing uh, in this film because she appears to have been added to the film to kind of appease, like, kind of fanboys. I'm pretty sure she's in the comic as well, but like, her talent is that she's mentally unstable and she has a baseball bat and she bends over in a small pair of pants.
1: Yeah, and at one point that that was it's a very icky male gaze kind of movie in that regard. And when like,
0: we say gays we mean g a z e not male gays because no. male uh, gays are gonna get nothing out of this film
1: uh, yeah absolutely nothing there is nothing here there's nothing here for most humans <laughs> regardless of sexuality but like there is a there is a shot in the final fight where enchantress punches uh punches harley Quinn or knocks her back where the way that they show that is uh, enchantress is framed through the gap in harley quinn's leg with her ass taking up the top t- three quarters of the frame as well those things where you think you know i mean it was bad enough that you had her stretching around in hot pants for the entire movie when the traditional harley quinn look is her dressed up as a harlequin you know mm. as an actual full-bodied suit and everything and that's how she was envisioned in the, the in the animated series in the 90s where she made her debut and everything but like that it, that was the sort of thing where I was like oh come on this is this is Genuinely gone in from um benefit of the doubt of thinking, eh, this is kind of just playing to like teenage fanboys y sort of stuff. And this is just kind of the-, the business of making a movie to this is legitimately gross and weird what <laughs> you're doing. This is like really, really horrible.
0: Mm. And there's a really awkward bit where they're walking through a yeah, kind of like downtown area and they go past like a, a clothing shop and she smashes the glass to get a handbag out. And you're like, well, okay, that's... I don't know whether this is a comment on something or what, but then, like, they go to great pains to show her bending over to pick it up. And I'm just like, ugh, really? Or her is, this, in, is this where we're at?
1: Or her introduction, she's in her Hannibal Lecter-style cage in the the second cage in Science of the Lambs, not the, the glass one, where she has rigged up some sort of um, uh, hammock system, And she's just kind of like twirling around. And then later on, they show that she was a dancer in the Joker's club and all this sort of stuff. And she's just gyrating around. And it's just like, this is, I'm pretty sure this is not a film for 13 year olds, even though that's who it's being marketed at. And I also don't think that this is a particularly interesting character or the way that they're playing it, even though Margot Robbie does her level best to try and make it a little more interesting. But mm, it definitely um, feels that whatever character she is trying to imbue to it, David Ayer is thinking, I'm going to use your body and not really anything else.
0: Mm, I'm certainly going to not pay too much attention to what accent you're doing, uh, even, <laughs> even if it appears to have come from a GCSE drama performance of Bugsy Malone, <laughs> um, which is kind of what it feels like sometimes. And I know that she's, you know, she's not supposed to be, she's kind of supposed to be a bit scattershot, but Jesus Christ. Give us something to work with. Um, one of the, the kind of the best examples of how poorly written and put together this film is, is there's a bit where uh well, I mean, this this is this on many levels proves how poor this film is. They get the squad together, the and as Will Smith says, what is this, huh? Some kind of suicide squad. That's um, probably
1: the best meme to come out of it was yeah. for a few days on Twitter. I think Ali Ali Gray of the ShizNit started this, where he just had people start saying so that's it. Her. This is some kind of blank, and then you insert mm. the name of a film. So it's like, so that's it. Her. This is some kind of Uncle Boomy who can who can record <laughs> his past lives or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, some some good has come out of uh, uh, some good have come out of this film. But they 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 kind of just after the Eminem uh, uh, without me section, they're all getting geared up and everything. They jump on a helicopter with Ric Flair, and they're about <laughs> to go off to to sort out the mess that they started and suddenly another character just gets on uh, a character <laughs> called katana um because she has a katana because if you're a female character in uh, suicide squad you're either in pants and you bend over or you're a fucking ninja because you're asian <laughs> essentially they are she's brought on and they just say oh yeah we we need her cuz like we need another good guy on this mission i mean like, uh, sure why not throw another one into the mix And then they say on the helicopter, on the way there, yeah, she's got a sword, right? And the thing is, the sword is haunted by the spirits of the people she's killed. Um, And she can talk to it. And you're like, oh, cool, man. That's kind of weird. But yeah, sure, let's go with it. Then later on, you see her talking into her sword to someone. And she's crying. And uh, someone says, oh, yeah, um, that's her husband. The sword she uses was used by gangsters to kill her husband. And you're like, oh, okay, there's a little bit more information, That's a little bit more depth to what we were told earlier. But then straight afterwards they say, yeah, her sword's haunted. It contains all the souls of the people it's killed. It's just like, we've already been told this. <laughs> like, even if we weren't told it again, we would have assumed that, because she's talking to a man in a fucking sword.
1: Yeah, this the film has a very bad problem, and this may come from just the the, the way in which it was taken away and edited by people who seem to have been working it in shifts in compartments like like the monty python joke about you know the uh, the sketch about the funniest joke ever written where people could only translate two words at a time mm-hmm. i kind of think feel like different teams of editors worked on different scenes of the movie because towards the end there's like they take five minutes to explain everything that has already happened like they explain oh by the way uh, like Enchantress betrayed us and we had this plan but it went completely awry and then they just reshow you scenes from earlier in the movie and it's just like I know that this film has been made with people with like ADHD in mind but even the most kind of short attention span even Guy Pierce in Memento would be able to follow what's <laughs> happening in this movie without you having to re- recap stuff that we saw an hour earlier Um, Mm. It's it's just baffling that that choice is in the movie.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, truly, truly kind of like, kind of so shoddily uh, conceived, written, executed, and then put together It is kind of a ultimate house of cards that falls on the, the premise not being particularly great and the script not being particularly great and then it done very badly. But there's one thing we haven't mentioned Um, And we'll kind of get to the elephant in the room, which is Jared Leto, who, whilst we kind of say the tone of this film is inconsistent, what he is doing in the (laughs) film is, I mean, it kind of touches on kind of Tommy Wiseau levels of uh, of mania.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes you long for the subtlety of Cesar Romero, doesn't it? (laughs) It's it's crazy. His performance, not crazy in like a fun way. In mm. a... Someone has... It's, it's it's kind of adolescent in the way that, you know, someone goes away from school for the summer and they come back and they've read a bunch of Nietzsche or something and they suddenly start <laughs> acting super edgy. And there's no, like, authenticity to it. There's no danger to him. Like, he's meant to be this really kind of psychotic person. But there's none of the, like, edge that you got from Heath Ledger, who obviously... Um, brought a lot to the, the Joker when he played him in 2008 and who was a genuinely unnerving presence in this one you just kind of think, "Hey, he's probably going to kill everyone like, mm. there's not a huge mystery to what he's going to do in any given moment and there's also not any of the fun of Jack Nicholson when he did it in 1989 it's just it's just a very, very big hammy, ridiculous performance and he's just so Unlikable, there's no charisma to him. To the extent that when he shows up at the end to break Harley Quinn out of prison, I said audibly, but not so audibly, I don't think anyone else in the cinema heard me, oh this cunt again. <laughs> and I and that's not that's not a word I use lightly. I try not to use that word too much, but that was the only response I had to him because he was so awful everything about his performance was completely terrible and the only time i could stand him was when harley quinn was having her her vision what is it with dc and fucking visions and dream sequences where she imagines her like home life with uh, the joker and they're both got normal faces and normal faced kids uh which is such a boring dream for harley quinn to have and really really disappointing
0: Mm, yeah, I really long for like a a kind of position where I'm a housewife in a kind of like rigid, uh, traditional gender structure, and my <laughs> husband appears to be a middle manager in some kind of like stationary company. I think that would be lovely. Let's shoot that in soft focus and make that my aspiration <laughs> uh, to basically show that if you don't want that, you're mentally ill, which you know is the message behind all kind of good films I've heard. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jared Leto. Like you talk about Heath Ledger and like I, it just, you just don't want to constantly compare people. Like um, Heath Ledger is a great Joker and, you know, kind of made that part something else that like I didn't think that the Joker could be. Because to me, it was Jack Nicholson looking like he was taking the piss in every scene and just seeing like, they're not going to put this in the film, right? I'm just going to piss about <laughs> and, you know, make this as big as possible. And I'll just take my paycheck and that's fine. That's what I assume the Joker was. I've read a couple of Batman comics and yeah, he's kind of an, he's an an arsehole, but Heath Ledger made it. So every time the Joker was on screen, you genuinely didn't know what he was going to do Mm. and you genuinely felt kind of on edge. The bit with the pencil, like, is just so simple and so effective and so in character. Um, You're just like, oh, fuck, this guy is A, incredibly dangerous and B, like... I think he kind of is. really enjoying doing this stuff. But when Jared Leto walked on screen, firstly I thought, "Oh, this cunt again." <laughs> um, but secondly, I just wanted to laugh. Right? Yeah. Um, because there's a bit you mentioned it earlier with like um, Harley Quinn, kind of a flashback to uh, her being kind of like a dancer in his club, and like the thing is, is is if Martin Scorsese directed a version of Batman. And they did it, like, grittily realistic. The idea that the Joker might be, like, a gangland villain with a screw loose and Harley Quinn might be his kind of, like, deranged moll, kind of might have something in it. And it feels like that's what they were going for in that scene with Common, yeah? Mm-hmm. Where, like, they have this, like... Kind of, and it's it feels like a kind of uh, a scene from a hard-R gangster film... <laughs> um but then it then just kind of wedged into kind of like a cartoonish idiotic uh, kind of like men on a mission film and jared leto appears to be playing that scene like like he's in a different film and then in the next scene he's basically got the same haircut but he's now just overacting mm. and like it it just seemed like a piecemeal performance in a piecemeal film um that had just been shaken up in a box and just chucked out onto the screen
1: yeah, I think that's also apparent in the like one good scene in the movie. Like, there's truly the one good scene if it, you know, it fulfills the Howard Hawks quotes a little bit, you know, or a third of it, uh, which is when towards the end of the film they've defeated Enchantress with a bomb, uh, mm, which is slightly sl- slightly anticlimactic that the uh, <laughs> that this uh, centuries old, millennia old god can be undone by a bomb um they like deadshot has got the a deal where he basically is allowed to go out of prison periodically and spend time with his young daughter who's kind of like everything to him and humanizes him and therefore undercuts the entire point of the fucking movie
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: like you're not meant to like these people they're meant to be terrible they're not meant to think oh you know he's a good dad really at heart he just kills people for money um he's like tony <laughs> soprano um but they're in like the kitchen of their apartment, and she's he's talking to her about her math homework, and talking about like the hypotenuse. And then she says, "Okay, so if you're standing on top of a building and you want to shoot someone, that's the hypotenuse." And that's really funny to me. That's like a genuine. That should be the tone of the whole movie, which is this kind of uh, the contrast between normalcy and the ridiculousness of these people being supervillains who go and kill people all the time. Uh, and it's like it's really weird because you get this little glimpse two minutes before the movie ends of a good movie, <laughs> and that's that. I think that was the thing that left me seething as I left the cinema. Was thinking there's something there. Like you have an amazing cast, you have a talented writer director, and nothing comes of it. It's just a waste of two hours of your life.
0: Mm. And it's it's weird that like Deadshot should be involved in that scene because I'm just thinking back through the film. At various points, he is dressed like a kind of like cyborg commando from the future, mm-hmm. uh, a boxer, and a huggy bear. Yes. Um, because for some inexplicable reason, I think maybe it might be a nod to the comics that I don't understand, um, he is dressed like a pimp, but not only a pimp, probably what a Daily Mail reader thinks the average <laughs> American male, uh, African American male, looks like. Uh, you know, big red brimmed hat, a long coat with a probably a fucking feather in it as well. Jesus Christ. Uh I didn't really understand what was going on there. But then but wh- again, it doesn't jar with that that tone of everything else.
1: Also, why is it that people in DC stories keep walking down alleys? Yes,
0: just stay away from the alleys, motherfucker.
1: Yeah, that's when you get either killed by someone when you're leaving Zorro or Batman comes after you. It's like these are the worst places to walk with your young kid to a dark, abandoned alley. Um hmm. but and yeah, Batman it's... must
0: have it easy. He just waits in alleyways and these fucking <laughs> idiots just keep coming down. The
1: uh the thing that I thought was really funny, and I don't know if this was actually intended as a joke, because it's shot through with the kind of the same kind of lackluster tone that the rest of the movie is but when they're all tooling up to eminem which again terrible (laughs) choice of song doesn't help at all with a set a tone or comedy or anything is when like like you say they're all being given their gear and deadshot has his um has his like helmet and everything and harley quinn has her her outfit and everything like that i love that el diablo's is a tank top (laughs) and a jacket (laughs) that's his gear (laughs) um and that's something that i think could be really really funny but isn't played for laughs at all it just kind of goes by quickly and and i was i was saying to you beforehand that there the version of this movie that i would love to see would be one directed by like edgar wright or lord and miller where like you emphasize the comedy of 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 the moment like that or the uselessness of captain fucking boomerang because Mm. that's a guy who can't do anything he's no use at all and there's I, i think you could Get such comedy out of the idea that this guy, whose abilities he can throw a thing and sometimes it comes back, is being matched with a guy who can just kill hundreds of people at once with fire out of his hands, mm. uh, and it never does that. It's like it's it's um, it's kind of like the joke in the Lego movie about how Aquaman is like useless and no one wants to hang out with him. Is it Aquaman that's useless or is it Green Lantern?
0: Uh, I mean, Green Lantern at that time. Yeah, Yeah, no, no one's hanging out with Green Lantern.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, but like, it's it's that that you you know you think could really could really work and could be really fun, Uh, but instead it's just like all done through with this half ironic jokey tone, half deadly serious Zack Snyder verse thing, and the fact that it can't be one of those two things. Like the reason why Guardian the Guardians of the Galaxy works is because it's this crazy movie that has its own tone and is allowed to be separate from the main Marvel continuity whereas this one it feels like they're half trying to do that but half saying but yeah we also have like the batman who's broody and sad all the time is going to show up and we have to have start with like people being heartbroken by the death of superman and a shot of his funeral and everything like that so it's 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 torn between these two worlds and that's the thing that's terrible about uh, it's co- about superhero movies a lot of the time or comic book movies is unlike comics which can be different things and can have different tones and from title to title can be wildly different you can have a batman title that's you know dark and serious and brooding and grim dark and everything or you can have something that's like light and funny and and you know kind of light-hearted and enjoyable In this it feels like oh no everything has to be serious because that's what we've decided to do and it doesn't work
0: Mm, yeah, it really, really doesn't work. And it kind of brings into stark contrast the problems that DC has, where we can kind of talk about how Marvel can do anything and the films will make money and people would generally like them. Even the films that have turned out to be relatively unpopular, by their standards, are still pretty popular. Whereas DC seems to be fitting into this very, very kind of like predictable routine of release a film. This is post Christopher Nolan. Um, release a film. You know, it's kind of like a smash and grab. Try and open as big as possible, and then we'll just hope it doesn't tail off too quickly when people realise how bad it is. That is, they are now they are now three for three.
1: Yeah, they've all basically followed that pattern. I think Man of Steel might have been the one that did the best of them in in that regard. In like, it opened not great by blockbuster standards but okay and then kind of legged it out to nearly 300 million but Batman versus Superman despite all the hype despite a huge opening weekend barely made it over 300 million this one opened to like 130 million and is now sputtering just sort of 300 million and these are huge amounts of money obviously but when you are trying to match Marvel who have like over a decade almost a decade at this point of brand loyalty and people know what to expect they know that Marvel films kind of have um, a low ceiling in that very rarely are they great movies, but they also have a high floor in that they're very rarely bad movies. You kind of have... You you know what you're getting with a Marvel movie. Um, so they're going all out, and it's like, okay, we're going to spend 250 million on uh, the vision of Zack Snyder, and hopefully it will work. Uh, and that seems like uh, a bet that isn't paying off too well because I think now, like, if if Wonder Woman's bad... If people don't like Wonder Woman, then I kind of feel like that'll be the, that'll be game over mm. because people have given them three tries so far. This one, I feel like Suicide Squad got a, um, had, a, had a chance to do well, even after Batman v Superman, because people thought, oh, it could be something different. Mm. Like it looks different. It feels different. And then people watching it, it's like, oh no, this is the worst one. This is like mm. worse than the other two that were terrible. Um, mm. It kind of feels like you can't imagine that if Wonder Woman does badly, uh, that anyone will have any faith in Justice League being any good.
0: Mm, It's weird that like, you know, they seem to be trying to kind of go opposite to Marvel and kind of be a bit grittier and a bit more kind of like realistic. And people have say, well, you know, maybe they need to be a bit more like Marvel, but they seem to have picked the bits of Marvel that people don't like, like, you know, the, the two Avengers movie featuring plots where our heroes essentially just face off against legions upon legions of, of kind of like faceless enemies that they can just kind of cut through dead easily. Um, here all of a sudden is, uh, you know, a, a rift in time and space that is bringing what appear to be uh, a kind of horde of, of, of villains made out of bits of Bimbag bag and, and frog spawn. Um, <laughs> Which you know is not scary. There's a, there's a bit where like Deadshot looks at one through like a telescope or whatever, and there was a there was a ripple of laughter <laughs> uh, through the cinema screen, which was absolutely rammed. I went in like the first week, um, and it was you know it was really busy. Um, even it was like for a, like a Wednesday night or something, it was really super busy. Um, and yeah, there was a the ripple of laughter across the screen when you kind of got a close up a close up of what something looked like. Uh, kind of seventies Doctor Who villain, hmm. um, but yeah, it seems like it just seems like they're trying to be different, and when they try and be similar, it just backfires. I mean, I just don't know what the answer is. Make better films, I guess, and hire better people.
1: Yeah, I mean those those enemies are terrible. Not only do they look bad, uh, and, and they look really shitty, but like their setups, like oh you know they're turning ordinary people into these monsters through magic and things like that you think oh man they're going to be really tough and then when the first fight it's like oh no you just shoot them in the head and they're dead or you hit them with a bas- <laughs> baseball bat and they're dead it's well, just like these aren't these aren't you don't really get the sense that you need the suicide squad to do this none of their mm. special abilities are really coming into this other than dead shots
0: well, yeah. that that said, Rick Flag, his he's got like a little crew of guys with him, like three or four, like army dudes who are just mm. just there for some reason, and they sh- they're shooting the hell out of these guys, and nothing's happened. But then Deadshot does it, <laughs> and or Harley Quinn just shoots him with a pistol in the head, or hits him with a baseball bat, and yeah, they're done for.
1: You should make it clear that only the Suicide Squad can kill these things. Instead, you're just saying, oh, like, yeah, we're just going to have some of these guys get taken down really easily, but most of them all. Will- last just long enough that we can get, you know, killer croc smashing a bunch of them with his fists and stuff. Even though we see very quickly, oh no, like if you just shoot them a bunch, then they die. They're not mm. they're not that tough.
0: Yeah, killer croc um displaying those classic crocodile like abilities of smashing stuff with his fists. <laughs> um yeah. Well he's a fucking interloper, that guy. <laughs> just lives in a puddle uh and just growls. A oh, fucking useless prick. You know what I mean
1: Yeah, and also Uh, i I forget the actor's name but he played mr echo on lost and he's a really charismatic guy he's a really really good actor and instead you just have him under layers of bad prosthetics and give him terrible jokes to make like when the divers are all going into the flooded subway to get the bomb and everything like that and say you're not coming with me he's like (laughs) and he says he basically says no way brah it's just kind of like what the fuck are you doing he's (laughs) a He's a giant lizard, man. You can't have him say bra, you know. It just, it's just stupid. Especially because you've established that he's from like Louisiana or something. It's just like it's not really, doesn't really quite fit.
0: Mm, Yeah, I mean, and also Diablo's kind of like cholo, uh, kind of like stereotyping. It's just fucking (laughs) horrible. He's like no essay, and it's just there's a bit as well. I was just thinking like is essentially a cro this what message this film is sending is that Diablo is a man who killed everyone he loved around him. He killed his, his wife and kids. Um, he burnt them with this kind of like this this kind of curse he has of being able to set people on fire. He killed them all. He went to prison, and he killed more people and now he's kind of sworn off this life of murder. And then <laughs> the film is these guys trying to convince him to kill again. And he's just like you can do it. You can kill again. <laughs> it's just like what? What's the message? I mean, there's got to be... There's got to be the hope of rehabilitation in our prison system, in, <laughs> in our penal system. The idea that, like, they're just going to fish this peace-loving guy out of his little metal tube that he lives in because he keeps setting people on fire, where he's sworn off... He, he's done with that shit. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And they get him out, and they're like, you know, no, I believe in you. You can murder swathes of people and then kind of turn into some weird Aztec fire god at the end.
1: And And also, like... It's it's so weird because when he tells the story about how he killed his whole family, that was that was the moment when I was very close to just walking out of the cinema because it was in this scene where the Suicide Squad, everything's gone terrible. You know, it's the beginning of the third act and everything it looks very badly. It looks very bad and it's kind of like the most basic screenwriting structure ever. Um, and they're all in this bar having drinks and things like that. And then he starts going on this heartfelt story about how he burnt his whole family to death and everything like that. And the actor, he tries to do the best with it, but it's like really ham-fisted dialogue, so it doesn't really work. But then Harley Quinn has this whole thing where she's suddenly deeply offended by the fact that he killed women and children. It's kind of like, do you know who you dated? (laughs) The Joker, you know, you're not, you can't judge on morality or anything like that because you (laughs) you are romantically involved with the world's biggest sociopath. And we've seen that you are just completely deranged. And it feels really weird. It feels like... They took lines that were probably meant to be said by Deadshot uh, as someone who doesn't kill women and children, apparently someone who has a greater ability to kind of be a moral authority and that sort of thing to someone who's just completely deranged. And it's so it's so weird that they did it that way. Uh, And also, like at the end of his film and and when he is about to sacrifice himself, he's like, I lost one family. I don't want to lose another one. It's like, at what point in this film have you set up that this is a close-knit group of people who consider themselves a family? They've been mm. together for, like, two hours. Like, in, <laughs> if you're talking, like, real time, it's only been, like, three or four hours since they were kind of let off the helicopter together. I don't feel as if you've been through enough to have a kind of, like, Fast and Furious-style sense of community and family between you all.
0: Mm. And what kind of part in this family unit did Slipknot play? <laughs> uh, kind of, like... <laughs> That kind of shit uncle who turns who? up at Christmas once a year and just does contribute to fuck all.
1: Who do you think has the worst introduction, Slipknot or Kitana? Because Slipknot, he's bundled out of a car and there's a clear ADR line explaining who he is. He doesn't mm. get any backstory or anything, whereas Kitana just kind of shows up on a plane and then they showcase her uh, slicing people up in Japan. And neither yeah. of them, neither of them's great.
0: Yeah, and Slipknot as well. There there's a bit where like he kinda of confers briefly with Captain Boomerang and they're like, Oh yeah, let's let's get an escape going here and then <laughs> Captain Boomerang once again proves himself to be forever the arch strategist, with the plan being, just climb up that building, mate. I mean, that's his thing under Captain Boomerang as well, there's something I have to mention like, if you're talking kind of uh, like, I mean, I think the Joker like, they tried to do something a bit different with his costume and his kind of look and everything and he kind of, all these jailhouse tats and kind of, yeah, I mean, if you like it or not, they're trying to do something different Captain Boomerang has a handlebar moustache and (laughs) a tracksuit top on uh, which has an Australian flag and the word Captain on it (laughs) that is what we do de- that's the level we're dealing with here yeah it's
1: it's on the nose shall we say
0: yeah, yeah. We were going to talk about this in like a wider context, but we've gone fucking long on Suicide <laughs> Squad, so I think we might have to make this a like kind of like a semi two parter and pick up some of these threads. Like next week, we we're going to talk about method acting and how Jared Leto has essentially killed <laughs> the whole thing uh, by what he's doing uh, in this film. Uh, but I think we'll get to that next week because uh, we've probably got more on that that we can kind of go a bit longer. Um, yes. But this has been kind of super fun talking about Suicide Squad, um, and it's made me realise that. I didn't think it would be as bad as um, Batman versus Superman, or as, I didn't think it would be boring. I thought there'd be at least some kind of fun stuff in there, mm-hmm. and there's enough actors that I liked in there, and you know David Ayres made some good stuff. That it would be kind of you know passable, but fuck me, man, it was it was kind of Man of Steel bad.
1: It absolutely was. I think it's it it just pips Man of Steel as being the worst film in this particular DC universe and also because Man of Steel is literally one of the worst mainstream movies of the last 20 years, it's one of the worst films I think I've seen in a cinema ever Mm. it's it's awful in ways I just didn't expect, like you say I didn't expect it to be boring Uh, that was the last thing I expected it I expected to go in and see like a mess a mess that's interesting and kind that you can dig into in, in the way that Batman v Superman was, but it was such a bore
0: Mm. it was a bore and it was a chore it was yeah and I went, went to watch it with a bunch of guys who were like you know big comic book fans some of them DC fans and like we just got out and we were like well that was ch-. I mean and I also said like I said I'm going to see Suicide Squad my wife was like why are you going to see that you're not going to like that and I'm like you know I just like going to the cinema I like going to hang out with my friends and we'll go to the cinema and that's going to be cool I like the kind of the pageantry <laughs> we'll get some popcorn it'll be fine oh man, I really wish I hadn't bothered. I, I kind of punched myself in the face for 90 <laughs> minutes and I'd have more fun. That was fucking terrible. Yeah, but this has been cathartic. Cause... Yeah, I, f- I feel like we've we've kind of excised some things.
1: Yeah, my anger towards you has subsided quite a bit since talking about it. Because I, I did like jokingly tweet at you saying, like I don't think I'll ever f- forgive him. But when I walked out of it, I was like, this is like a friendship ender. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is a terrible thing that has been foisted upon me. Uh, but Mm. i think i think we've we've managed this like good therapy you know we kind of got through it
0: yeah and i think we've got this thing haven't we where if one of us sees a bad film the other person has to watch it to a convince themselves that it's a real thing that happened uh, and b so we can talk about it here which means that before the end of the year Ed, you are going to have to watch special correspondence
1: i was going to say does that mean i have to watch that at least i don't have to pay for to see that
0: (laughs) that's a good Um, point i mean that is um i'd say that's worse than suicide squad oh wow yeah, although it's not as big a waste of talent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a kind way of saying it. But I, let's kind of get into something a bit more positive. We'll do recommends, and I'm going to pick something um, in a kind of like devil's advocate style. Um, I'm going to kind of pick something by David Ayer, the director of Suicide Squad, to prove that, you know, he has got some talent somewhere. He made a film, that was out a couple of years ago, called End of Watch, which uh, kind of fits broadly into the the category of found footage. It's um kind of like a day in the life of two lapd uh kind of like black and white cops uh i say not one's not one's black and one's white i mean they go around a black and white car um kind of cruising around dealing with kind of like gangs and stuff um but it's all told from the point of view of like gopros and stuff and like you know dashboard cams it kind of moves away from at the end but it still kind of maintains this kind of really kind of like energetic kind of urgency through it and it's really tense and kind of like it's i mean it's Not like a masterpiece, but it's like a really kind of solid Saturday night film. And um, yeah, I was kind of expecting something more in line with that in terms of quality. And you know, how disappointed I was by Suicide Squad. But if you want something by David Ayer, which is pretty decent, end of watch is a good share.
1: Cool. I'm going to recommend a film that I saw last week, which... Uh, I think it is a wonderful uh, palate cleanser to Suicide Squad if anyone wants to go out, watch it. The latest film from Leica Studios, Kubo and the Two Strings, a film that you and I have both been very excited by mm-hmm. uh, about seeing and uh, what I found interesting in kind of comparing it to Suicide Squad is it's a movie about kind of superheroes in a sense you know people with fantastical powers people who are you know kind of bound together on a journey together people who don't really like each other having to work together to survive. It's full of magic like literal and cinematic you know it's 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 a story of kind of breathtaking scope it's a story that has a sense of beauty to it and a sense of sadness to it it's funny it's got a rich metaphor about um about growing up and having to confront like the death of parents and things like that it's uh, also just kind of like the action in it is amazingly staged It's got this great mythology to it that ties into uh, ideas from ancient Japanese folklore. It's got a beautiful... It's got a great cast who do really good work. And it does all of these things in about 90 minutes. And it's just one of those things where you walk away watching it and you think, why can people not do that with actual superhero movies? Why can't people do that with, uh, you know, like, name characters? Why does it have to go to this small studio making original movies? Uh, and part of the answer is that if you wanted to make like a two and a half hour long stop motion movie, it would take an extra five years to make. Mm. But uh, you know, it did leave it did leave me uh, feeling a hopeful because Leica are wonderful and they do great work, and I want them to keep making as many films for as long as possible because I think they are they are spectacular. But it also just kind of made me angry in the same way that mad max fury road made me angry last year because you walk out of it and you think why isn't all mainstream cinema like this why isn't anyone learning from this stuff uh and so like watch it if you want to have your faith in cinema as an abstract concept restored after suicide squad but also if you want to walk away deep even more disappointed in cinema as kind of an actual thing that is ongoing
0: Mm, yeah it's out in the uk in a couple of weeks um but if you're stateside uh, catch it now um okay listeners that's your lot on the subject of just how much suicide squad has uh, ruined our lives and i think that like ed is still kind of grappling with it because he only saw it a matter of hours ago whereas i saw it um earlier kind of in um what month we in august i saw it like on the 9th of august and i didn't watch another film for about three weeks like I saw my I saw my first film since then like last week. I just couldn't face it, um, and it was only the idea that if I didn't watch a film, uh, Suicide Squad would be the last film I saw. If I died, uh, and I couldn't have that, um, I've watched a couple of films since, uh, and the last one was Bambi. So you know. I'm kind of feeling really miserable now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you've got some catharsis out of it uh, the way we have. Uh, If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher or Player FM. And if you really enjoyed the show, please, why not just leave us a little review? Uh, You can find us on Twitter. We are at SRS underscore podcast and on Facebook as well. We will be back next week with something else. Uh, probably continuing some of the threads we started here. Uh, But until then, it's goodbye from me.
1: And goodbye from me.
0: And goodbye from me.